Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right in a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. We've had a busy couple of weeks here on the Must Read Alaska show. We probably had close to maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 guests in the last two weeks. And so I hope everybody is enjoying the shows. If you like Must Read Alaska, if you listen, watch, or read Must Read Alaska, and you want to help keep the lights on here, which Suzanne and I would greatly appreciate, just go to mustreadalaska.com on the right-hand side there. There's a little donate button, and every $5, $10, $100 helps keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. But without further ado, I have a very special guest today, um, Senator Mike Schauer from, I believe, District O. It could be something different now, but welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, Senator. District O it is. Nice. Well, uh, I think you've been on a couple of times. Welcome back. Our folks really enjoy um, hearing from you and uh, learning from you and hearing all about um, the, the good things that you do, which one of them was an amendment this last year. We, You and I were kind of chatting about this. I think it's easy for folks to forget. I'll point five fingers at myself to forget that there was an amendment on the floor that offered a full dividend. Talk to me about that. Let's refresh people's memories and how it played out. So one of the things I want people to remember, I, I think they, like you said, they forget is that the legislature in the last few years under the old guard, those that have been doing this for decades that want to, for the different reasons, either prevent them or their wealthy families from paying taxes or to their constituents that help them get elected, big unions, perhaps big business leader, donor types, et cetera. Um, they're not doing this for the future of the state. I don't care what they say. Their goal is a different thing. And it funnels money into government hands, which very few people see it or get benefit from it. They funnel it there and it does not go into the people's hands. And I say that, Jonathan, just for the context of people understanding that a dollar in the private economy circulates somewhere around seven times. Lots of studies show that. Government hands, one and a half to two times. Maybe in other words, a very small slice of the pie gets the benefit of those government dollars. So, of course, many of the old guard legislators want to make sure they take their care of those constituencies. The people, on the other hand, are the ones that get shafted as usual. So we've moved, I think, somewhere around $10 billion plus billion at this point from the earnings reserve account, which is where the dividends come from, have since we created it 40 years ago. And they moved it into the corpus, which means it's protected where um, it can no longer be used. And that is their goal. Let there be no doubt in the very near term future, I predict that the earnings reserve account will be destroyed. It will be taken all into the corpus. It will become one and you will no longer ever have the ability to have anything other than what your elected leader is dying to give you. No statutory formula because we don't follow it. That's important, right? Because we're supposed okay. to be lawmakers. Instead, we have broken the law so many times I've lost count. All of that said, Jonathan, last year, I was able to do math very quickly on the uh, Senate floor, and I put in an amendment for a full statutory PFD. I was very surprised it passed. We were down one person, a person that was very against the dividend. That particular legislator wasn't there that day, and it passed 10 to 9. 
And there was also a uh, energy rebate because at the time oil prices were high and we had extra money in the account. And my point was, hey, coming out of COVID, let's put this money into the pockets of the private economy and private citizens that need it. Everybody was struggling. It's the right time to do it. Why put it into the coffers of the government when we can get it into people's hands that need it? It actually passed. It made it out. Unfortunately, there were three Republicans in the House at the time that voted it down. And so it failed, I think, like, you know, 20 to 20 or 21 to 19, something like that. Had those three Republicans voted for it, it would have passed. It would have been something like $5,400, $5,500 per Alaskan. Hmm. It's better part of $3 billion injected into our economy. It got chopped down from there, from that amount to, I want to say, what were we last year, like 3800 or something like that, I believe was the amount for Alaskan. Somewhere in that ballpark, I forget. Um, but that was the amendment I put in, and then it, it made it through. This year, I did the same thing, as I have every year I've been there, put in a statutory PFD amendment to follow the law. And the point is, is that's the law, so we should follow it. If we don't like it or the math doesn't work, Jonathan, as I have said many times, then let's change the law. But they refuse to do that because they want to be able to manipulate the levers of power and do what they want with it, how they want it, give it to money where they want it to go, as opposed to following the formula, which constrains them. It puts handcuffs on how the the finance members and others can spend money, right? It's what they don't want. They don't want to be controlled. They don't want to be constrained. So all of that said, um, I put the amendment in and I actually got two Democrat votes. Um, unlikely candidates, not ones that normally vote for the dividend, although one of them was pretty honest from his campaign uh, into voting. And he even said it and he voted for it on the floor. I got, I think, three Republican votes. So I think it was like six or so, something like six out of 20 voted. It failed. Not surprising, again, with the people that are there. Um, and it didn't pass. And unfortunately, some of the long term like Democrat, um, you know, you were mentioning some names that have always said they support the full statutory dividend did not vote for it. So my amendment failed. It went from about the roughly thirty eight hundred, I think, per person it was supposed to be by the statutory formula. The House had a 50 50 version of it, which was about twenty six or twenty seven hundred dollars. So it got chopped down from the that to the House's version and the House and the Senate and the Senate got their way again, the old guard and the finance table. And there's even a few on that finance table that say they support the statutory dividend, but that didn't happen. We didn't even get a 50-50 dividend of 2600 Jonathan. They ended up slicing it to about 1300 So that's the sordid history of it. Uh, your dividend is about 1300 per person and government spending went up a great deal. So we have increased spending dramatically um, at this point. Um, for the government. And that is, by the way, without a defined benefit plan for all state employees that's going to break the bank, that is without um, the uh, school increase that another senator wanted um, that was over a quarter of a billion dollars a year, every year moving forward and then some. So before we've even added these very expensive programs to this tiny little state for population that has no tax base to speak of and a shrinking oil and gas economy that's under attack every day from the Biden administration and far left wing Democrats. Well, that's where we are. And it's not a pretty picture. So well, the money they, they, they haven't the been government. able to muzzle you yet. That's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. Good luck muzzling me. That's not going to happen. So, um, so what it, you know, I that. think it's I think it's frustrating for folks when they hear uh, the Senate leaders say, no new taxes. We, you know, that's what I heard last year from Senate leaders. We hey, we balanced the budget with no new taxes. What, what are your thoughts when you hear that? Their goal, again, Jonathan, I go back to is to, for different reasons, you'll find different reasons depending on the person. Maybe they're wealthy. A lot of these senators, younger or older, have money. 
or they have family money or generational wealth. So they don't want to be taxed, right? I get that. I'm not wealthy. Grew up poor. Doing okay now as an airline pilot after, you know, 24 years in the military where you, you don't make money. But point is, is I still want to see money funnel into the private sector economy because that's growth. Government does not equal economic growth, Jonathan. There are people that seem to be very confused by that concept. <laughs> growth comes because entrepreneurs, the private sector, creates wealth by growing businesses, creating businesses, creating jobs, and that wealth flows to other people, employees, et cetera. Government has to first take it from something and then give it to somebody. So they take from that private sector that's growing jobs and they go, I remember one senator a year took on, these are good paying government jobs. I'm like, yeah, but you have to take from the private sector to have those good paying government jobs. They're not for free. It's not a zero sum game. They seem to forget that. So I look at this and I go, whether they are wealthy, generational wealth, retired, whatever it may, you know, they respond to big unions or whoever gave them lots of donations, whatever it is, they have their reasons they don't want to be taxed. Well, what about the middle class? What about the poor that are struggling to get by? And I look at people, well, you know, those government services, you know, it's like, we if we don't have those, they're going to pick up the phone and the troopers aren't going to answer and the teachers aren't going to go to work and the kids aren't going to have school. And you hear this over and over, the lies and the spin, because that's what it is. Troopers are still going to pick up the phone, Jonathan. It's critical essential services. They get paid. Teachers will always get back pay, even if we debate up until the 1st of July. It's in a contract. None of this stuff's going to happen, the fear-mongering they threw out there all the time. But I also ask people, for those government services, well, what do I get? Oh, I get taxed, right? Oh, we don't have a tax. Yeah, we do. There's like 26 taxes we fall under. Property tax, highway tax, gas tax. There's taxes Sales all tax. over the place. Sales tax. Tons of taxes already. So when's the last time you called troopers? When's the last time you called for firefighter? How about EMS? So all these vaunted government services, Jonathan, a very small slice of the population gets it. And they go, well, you're driving the roads, don't you? I heard that from somebody who lives in the southeast, a particular legislator that wants, you know, all the money for the Marine Highway. Yes, I do. But I also pay for that with my taxes. And the money, by the way, my income taxes, not just state taxes, property tax and other stuff like in the borough, but also my federal income tax. You know, we get about eight of every. Uh, so we put in one dollar, we get about eight back from the federal government back of our money to go to those roads. So don't tell me I'm not paying for the roads already, because I am. The point is, Jonathan, a very small segment of the population gets the benefit of government dollars. And that's what we are protecting at the cost of a vibrant and necessary private sector economy in Alaska that nearly doesn't exist. Their focus in the Alaska legislature primarily is on the public sector, public sector unions. It's not in the right place. And we are in going to be in bigger and bigger trouble as our primary industry shrinks, oil and gas, mining, fishing, logging. We don't have a vibrant economy, Jonathan, which means the only thing you have left is government. If that shrinks, you have nothing else in Alaska. And the thing that has kept us alive for decades has been oil and gas. And like I said, we go back to that's under attack from the federal government. Biden and his cronies, Deb Howland, they, they aren't giving us anything. They're shutting us down. I do find it ironic that Deb Hallen has approved most of the oil and gas contracts in her home state of New Mexico. Strange, <laughs> but we're going to shut down. So apparently climate change is not a problem in New Mexico. It's only a problem in Alaska. It's very frustrating, Jonathan. As you can tell, I'm frustrated often in this job, but that's because common sense does not rain in Alaska, nor does it rain in the Alaska government or legislature. So it's yeah. frustrating. 
Yeah, let's let's uh, talk about the Biden administration because yesterday, um, the Biden administration just came out with a, you know, for folks that follow government like yourself and myself and others, it may, may not be a big surprise, but for others, it you know, it's just another blow from the uh, very left leaning Biden administration to say Alaska, you can't you can't do your oil thing. So, talk to me a little bit about that and kind of what that means for Alaska um, pulling back some of those ANWR leases? Look, the, the answer is simple. It's going to destroy us. And, and I say that, oh, that's dramatic. You know, no, it's not. We survive on oil and gas. That does most of the income of this state minus what we get from earnings of the permanent fund is oil and gas still. There's very minimal taxes that come from mining or fishing. Most of our fishing money, poof, that goes out of the state somewhere else. Most of the mining is tiny by comparison for what we get as far as royalties or anything along those lines. And I go back to, we don't have much of a private sector economy. We depend on the public sector up here, whether it's federal government or state. So if we don't have the ability to extract oil and gas, drill more wells, move it into the pipeline, do more mining of whatever resources, rare earth metals, coal, you name it, gold, et cetera, what are we going to do? I go back to a couple of years ago, Jonathan, I think it was Amazon that wanted to move a big, uh, like, you know, yeah. distribution warehouse. I think it was up in the Matsu they were looking at. It's going to be like 2,000, 2,500 jobs, something like that. Matsu was saying, we'll give you 500 acres tax-free for 10 years. Come here, right? Come here. I'm like, yes, finally, some work. Private sector, boy, I got slaughtered for that. But, oh, that's a terrible company. It's minimum wage jobs. It's, they treat their <laughs> employees terribly. I'm like, yeah, you know, mm, I, you're right. We should not encourage people to come up here and give us jobs. Those people should continue to just rely on the government for a welfare <laughs> checker. That's a much better plan. What is our problem, Jonathan? We will not build things. We will not dig for things. We will not drill for things. I don't get it. This this fear of everything, like the climate narrative is driving, oh, we can't drill for oil and gas. And I'm like, you're right. But while you go to the protest against oil and gas, on the airplane that was produced with things from mining and oil and gas with the fuel in your car, your Uber. And they're the wearing company, Patagonia. All, was, all from made out of oil. Got you there. Like turning on your light switch, don't you? You like hot water. Oh, yes, you do. You like being on your computer and your phone to organize your protests that all came from those things. But hey, we're going to shut that stuff down. So again, long answer to your short question is if we cannot extract the resources in Alaska of all different types, we are in big trouble because that's what we have. You're not going to find major auto manufacturers moving up here with great paying industry jobs. You're not. You're not going to find a massive medical you know, complex come up here with, with research and other stuff because it's easier, cheaper, and better in a bigger market for them, labor market and otherwise, in big cities down south. You have transportation costs and other things in Alaska. So we we have to do what we have to do, and that is primarily resource extraction. Should we build a refinery and, re and refine our black gold and sell it at a higher price for refinery? Yes. Should we build smelting plants and sell? Yes, we should be doing some of these things. Should we be building the Watana Dam so we have 400 megawatts of clean, green energy? So it's cheaper. Yes. And what does cheap energy equal? Economic growth. It always has. But we can't do that here. We can't build, drill. It's, it's, it's very, again, frustrating, Jonathan. But... It is, it is going to be a very rough road for us. We do not get somebody into office in the federal government and he puts bureaucrats and other secretary level appointments in 
that are going to be pro-Alaska and pro-resource development. Without that, this state is going to turn into a, a national park and it's going to be completely and utterly dependent on government largesse to keep us alive. That's the simple answer. It is. Yeah, and it's it seems like, uh, at least for the last several years, it's gotten only worse. Um, you know, and then they, they give these kind of acorns to us. You know, one of them may be this rural broadband thing where they're kind of dangling a, you know, $100 million carrot in front of Alaska to say, hey, we'll give you this amount of money to develop rural broadband. Hmm. Um, broadband. What are your thoughts on the rural broadband uh, money? I think that you better follow the money, my friend, because I think there is graft and things taking place here that are highly suspect to me. When I can look at Starlink, and I don't care what service, name it, but I've had it personally for most of this year. I go buy it for a couple hundred bucks. I go out and I hook it up on the top of my roof. I run a wire down, plug it into the little thing. It literally took me less than half an hour. And I have at least as good, if not better service than my cable company coming in for less than half the cost right now. While they're adding more satellites every month, which means the coverage is only getting better. Everywhere in Alaska could have that service next month, Jonathan, for yeah. pennies on the dollar. But instead, we're going to pay what's going to end up being billions of dollars to lay cable. Who's getting the money? I think yeah. people ought to be looking at where that money's going and who in government and bureaucracy and businesses are getting that money because there's an awful lot of it, Jonathan, when there is a better, cheaper alternative that's available today. But instead, we're going to go old school and put this down and we're going to get all kinds of excuses because it's nothing more than a money tree, my friend. So from the federal to the state government and all of the ties in between. This, to me, is worthy of an investigation. Somebody ought to be doing an audit on this and going, where's the money going and who's getting benefit from it? Because it does not pass the sniff test. It does not pass the common sense test. Why are we going to wait years and pay billions of dollars to get a service that we could be providing people in rural Alaska, native Alaskans right now, high speed for education, medical, any other need they need as far as access to the Internet? And we're not doing it. Why? Yeah, Great it's question. very strange to me. I also have Starlink. I've had it. I was one of the early adopters of it. And, um, you know, I get. I have the fastest internet that exists in Alaska, same as you, same as you, uh, you know, out there in Wasilla in the Matsu. It's, it's, I don't know, it's some days it's 120 megabytes and it's also doesn't make any logical sense to me that um, we have technologies like that. We even have a local technology. I had Sean Williams on, I don't know, a number of months ago. And he was telling me about there's a there's a company in Alaska that exists that's like Starlink that can do the satellite internet anywhere in Alaska and have it faster usually usually faster than most of the DSL um, speeds you know that you'd find in like Kenai or Soldotna or those kinds of towns and they can have it up just as fast as Starlink can have it up you know so we even have a local solution in Alaska but the fed solution is to lay down you know a hundred million dollars worth of wire which just doesn't it's more than that man it's doesn't more than make any sense last i heard it's gonna end up being probably several billion when it's all said and done. yeah six hundred was it 600 million for this for the entire us or just for alaska i can't remember no, that was alaska okay this is a multi multi-billion dollar project for this 
and ask the question. I said that on the floor, what I just said to you about Starlink and why are we doing this now, et cetera. There were some legislators that wouldn't look my way. Well, that was, well, I was saying that on the floor. They're kind of looking at their desk. I suspect, Jonathan, that if this was to come to light, who might be benefiting from this, there would be some significant outcry about how certain people, and I don't know all of it, I only know bits and pieces, but I would suspect there are people in government that are benefit, benefiting from this in a way that would be considered probably unethical. Yeah. Just my guess. So last topic uh, I'd wanna, I want to pick your brain on. So Biden recently... I, you know, I don't know if this, I don't know if he put any teeth to it, but they they kind of put out a statement that said if there are schools out there that exist, public schools, and they have archery programs or gun safety programs or those kinds of things, that they're going to back off, pull back some school funding. I know Sarah Vance and a bunch of folks sent letters off to the Biden administration. What what are your thoughts on that? I believe I signed that letter yeah. as well. Um, well, let's think about this. So we want kids to understand a weapon and the safety aspects of that weapon when it should be used why it should be used the the moral aspects of it you know about you know how you would use it against somebody for personal defense or defense of life and property but not in a nefarious way or a malicious way and one of the best ways we do that right is is what do we do we teach our children we teach them that a gun is just a tool, but it's a dangerous tool. It's not something to be toyed with. Same with an archery, you know, a bow, a compound bow, same with a knife, same with any tool that could be a car. You don't drink and drive, right? You don't do marijuana and drive. Why? Because it's a freaking 6,000 pound weapon that kills 35 to 38,000 people a year in accidents. So we train our kids, we teach them. So you want to, and, and what has become a violent culture in the United States with video games and movies and a lack of respect for authority and life in general, you want to restrict funding for programs that would teach our kids at a young age how to properly use a weapon and the ethics behind it and have adults teaching them and go, here's how you use them and here's how you use them correctly. When I grew up, Jonathan, I don't know about you, but there was in rural Florida where I grew up poor. It was very poor, mostly black, mostly black and white, and you know, about a mix. People in their pickup trucks had shotguns and rifles in the rack all day long, left in the parking lot. Nobody ever touched it. There was not a mass shooting. Why? The culture was different, but we also taught it. We had guns in ROTC because we had junior ROTC, and I was there for all four years. And we would carry guns through school to go to the shooting range. Back and forth, we had a little armory. There was never an incident. Nobody ever threatened anybody. Worst we ever had were fistfights. The culture's changed. It's become mm -hmm. more violent for all, a lot of different reasons. I'm sure we could get into a whole episode on that. My point is, why would you withhold funding for introducing kids to those things in the proper way, mm -hmm. in a way that's going to train them correctly, or you let the culture train them? Which one is better? So this ability of both the federal and state governments to withhold funding unless they get their way for things that do matter and important is of course very frustrating. Um, and they're gonna do the same thing for LGBT and all kinds of other things as well. If you don't do a certain way, like look like the Anchorage Assembly is saying, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go along with that school board decision about, you know, we're gonna let biological males compete and destroy biological women's sport. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you're gonna continue to see this kind of stuff because that's the real thing, right, Jonathan? I can't get it via the law. I'm gonna get it via funding and I'm gonna twist your arm.
It's the same thing for highway funds. You know, Alaska says, we don't want to do this. Well, fine, we're going to pull your highway funding. I just said we get 8 to $1 from the federal government for that. We're we're not going to be able to do anything. As far as <laughs> we're going to be able to fix about that. seven potholes if we don't get yeah, that. exactly. Money. So they know where we're weak and vulnerable because of the system and how it's set up. And we are unwilling to play the game solo. So they can influence policy that way. They're not stupid. Just because you don't agree with them or you think they're nuts or they're far left wing communist, progressive, Marxist, socialist doesn't mean they're stupid. They know how to play the game. And, you know, there's people on the right that do as well. Long answer again. I know that it's hard to have short answers. You know, I hate the sound bites for these things. 30 <laughs> seconds. But it, it is it is a common tactic of government to twist people's arms to get their way. However, they do it. Point of a government gun with laws, with funding, you name it. And this is just another example of that out of Washington, D.C., trying to pound a, you know, a, a square peg into a round hole to get their way because they're trying to treat every state the same, and it's not. Alaska is not Florida, is not Texas, is not New York, is not California, et cetera, just like the Matsu isn't Anchorage, isn't Juneau, isn't Fairbanks, or you know, whatever. We're different. And that's the beauty, or supposed to be the beauty of a federated system where government was supposed to be as local as possible so that, you know, the individual people in that population could massage things the way they want them. You know, and if you don't like how it's going to Matsu because you're a left-wing nut, go to Anchorage. You know, if you're a right-wing nut and you don't know like what's going on in Anchorage, go to the Matsu. That's the beauty of it. If the state all of a sudden makes us all the same, that's going to suck. Because if it's not what you like, where else are you going to go? So I'm not a fan of this overarching control because I think local is what you want. Why did the Matsu school board and assembly turn red? Because the people were sick and tired of watching these progressives take over it and instituting policies that did not agree with what about 75 to 80 percent of the population wanted. What's happening in Anchorage? I don't think it's as blue as it seems, but, you know, the local politics, they're getting hammered on far left stuff. Look at the crime down there. Look at the homelessness. I mean, what's going on in Anchorage is scary. Yeah. So I'm like, I hope Eagle Exit happens so we have a big obstacle between the Matsu and Anchorage. <laughs> <laughs> like put a big sign that says yeah okay if you're gonna execute those policies just turn around and go back we don't want you up here do so, a u-turn yeah i know anyways a little bit yeah it's fun. um you know i i was fortunate enough to go to one of the high schools in anchorage last year and get a tour of the high school with the principal with the mayor and with the resource officer uh, and it was a school that had a gun range in the basement and um you know, the majority of the teachers that I talked to, the principals were probably not conservative, but they really, really appreciated having a gun range at the high school to teach kids how to properly use guns, gun safety. And not only that, the added bonus of having the resource officer on campus every day because of the gun range made it so that these kids had a friendship with a police officer instead of seeing it as you know, the bad guy, they now saw Officer Dan or whatever his name was as somebody they could talk to. And I just think that the um, that positive, it, it, you know, it, that's going to be hard to duplicate without that kind of special sauce of having the gun uh, range in a school. No, well, like I said, it's that or the culture teaches it. Which one do you want? Do you want the, uh, you know, felon six, the, you know, video stealing car game to teach your kids about the law? Or do you want, you know, a driving instructor that's a decent moral human being and school teaching them, you know, uh, driver's ethics? I mean, so who do you want teaching your kids? Um, good moral people with the right way to do things in accordance with the law and, and you know, society standards? Or do you want, you know, a, a 
video entertainment culture teaching it. That's exactly what we don't want, right? So consider that. And I'll tell you one more thing, Jonathan. I'm still wish we could do this. It seems to be hard with this current legislator and the state's attitude, but beyond just school resource officers, which if we could fund it, I would be fine with having every, you know, at least a police officer in every school because they're soft targets. I hate this concept of leaving our kids to be vulnerable. They're, they're gun-free zones. Stop it. They're not gun-free zones because, again, the, the criminals will target them and don't care about your stupid laws. Now, wait a second. Criminals don't care about gun-free zones? They may have. <laughs> this whole thing's backfiring on me. I know. It's I know it's a, it's a tough concept to, to get your arms around that, you know, they don't respect the law, but you know, I go back to you, there's military veterans, there's police that, you know, have retired that either would keep, could be volunteers, which other states have done, or allow them with the appropriate tra training and qualification and maintaining those qualifications, they should be allowed to carry concealed in a school. Now, whether they're there full time, like a retired grandparent that was a military police officer or a law enforcement officer, they just want to be there and be impactful. Awesome. If you want to pay them, awesome. If you've got teachers that can meet those qualifications, I think they should be allowed to, you know, not, maybe not carry on their person all day, but they've got a, you know, a safe in the wall that they can run and grab out of the, you know, with the biometrics or something, you know, whatever. The, but the point is, think of the, the different ways we could do it to turn our schools from soft targets into hard targets and let every criminal know you step foot in a school to do harm to our children. Somebody or some buddies there in that school is going to come after you with a gun. It's the good guy with a gun that stops the bad guy. There is nothing else. And I, I'm sick and tired of this argument. We don't want more guns. So you want dead kids? Because the criminals aren't going to stop. The mentally insane, which it's usually somebody on the left that's got a mental problem that's doing this. The only way you're going to stop them is to have somebody there able to respond at the second it happens. Because cops, as the saying goes, are minutes away when seconds count. And they may do a great job, like the one you saw at that Christian school, what, in, was it California just last year, not too long ago? Those cops showed up and they went through the school quickly and, and saved a lot of lives. Yeah. Or you could have the one that happened in Texas, Evaldi, where, you know, it took, you know, forever and all the kids, kids died. My point is, Jonathan, don't make our kids soft targets. Allow responsible adults with the training and qualifications to be there to be the first responders on the scene and to fight back when bad stuff happens. We've got to start fighting back with the evil in this country, not just taking it. I'm down here in an undisclosed location right now, watching this place, talking to my uh, oldest son yesterday. And he's like, they're passing laws that, you know, people can do virtually anything here and just be let out of jail. Yeah. Up to shooting people and, and and rape and robbery, he's like the businesses. He's like they're just going out of business because they're getting these dash and grab things where you know thirty you know people acting like thugs. You know, usually younger, you know, teens and twenties, and they're just smashing and taking hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're putting businesses out, and the businesses can't do anything. And they've got a law that they're trying to pass in California right now, the California legislature that says if a business owner stops somebody in the act of a crime, the business owner will be charged. Not the criminal, not the one stealing or causing the damage. It'd be the store, the store owner will be charged. This country has lost its mind with that. It is time to step up and start fighting back against the insanity, Jonathan, fighting back against the evil. And if we don't do that, we're done. We're done. No country yeah. can survive this path of allowing evil to flourish. It needs to be stopped. Well, I appreciate it, Senator. 30, 30 minutes has gone by in a flash. Right. Any last-minute thoughts here before we head out? 
No, I appreciate the time. I know we should do it more often. We say that every time. There's a lot going on. It's, it's quite. I enjoy my summer. Thanks for the opportunity. I've actually done some fishing and, and hiking and some hunting, you know, just, just getting out a little bit. Last year had too much going on. And so this has been a nice summer. I mean, the rain's been terrible, right? We're all, oh my gosh, wish we had some better days. But um, nice summer and I've enjoyed the break. We're kind of getting in the fall where things are going to ramp, ramp up again and starting to look at the election cycle. Oh, I should mention, by the way, don't forget, local elections in the Matsu, since we're up here, coming up shortly, just a few weeks away. So please get the word out. Make sure you go vote because that's how we maintain good people in office. When good folks don't show up, people that we probably don't want in office to the ones that get elected. So don't forget, we've got local elections coming up. Spread the word. But no, thanks for the opportunity. Try to do it again. And uh, I appreciate what you guys, uh, you and Suzanne are doing a must read. That's the one real kind of alternative news source we have there in Alaska. And we need it because everything else is pretty much left of center or well left of center. So it's nice to have the alternative voice. It's desperately needed. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Senator Shower, for joining us here on the Must Read Alaska show. And uh, we wish you nothing but success. If you like what you hear and you like uh, Must Read Alaska, maybe you listen, watch, or read Must Read Alaska, and you want to help keep the lights on, go to mustreadalaska.com. On the right-hand side, there's a little donate button. Every $5, $10, $100 helps keep the lights on here. We're not funded by some local nonprofit <laughs> web conglomerate. We're just funded by everyday Alaskans who care about conservative news. So until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thank you, Senator, for joining us.